TCL is a proud sponsor of Gore North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. TGIF 1500 Faithful. It is Score North, scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app on your smartphone. You get all sorts of prizes or at least have a chance to win all sorts of great prizes. If you have our app, it is Scoop Podcast episode 233. The Scoop Podcast comes your way every Friday night at 6 o'clock. It's been a crazy week. This will be my only podcast of the week. Some good, some bad on the personal front, but thankfully I'm able to satisfy one of my passions, which is talking sports. We will start with Sidney Lowe, current Pistons assistant coach. At one point played for the Wolves. At one point was the Wolves head coach. Four different times he was a Wolves assistant. When talking about Wolves history, Sidney Lowe is among the guys you should think of. Maybe you don't. Instantly you think of Kevin Garnett for obvious reasons and some other characters, but certainly you should think of Sidney Lowe. Let's catch up with Sidney now. We'll talk about Ryan Saunders and some other talking points that come to my head. Here is Sidney Lowe. Coach, I appreciate your time. Let's go sequentially when talking about Ryan Saunders. Just take us back to the first time you connected with Ryan and that first time, or maybe just a few times thereafter, after you've been around him for some time, did you realize that there was something special there that he had a very bright future? Well, you know, I mean, obviously I've known him for a long time. I've known him since he was a kid and, um, you know, he was always around, around his dad and around the game. And, and you could see he always listened to everything. I mean, he was like, he was like a sponge, you know, when his dad was talking, and and so he was he was learning, I think, at a young age, and um, you know, obviously, as he as he got older and and started started coaching, and um, you know, he was in Washington, and obviously, I was uh, I always talked to him when he was there, and and kept in touch with him there, and. You know, sometimes you just you hear about guys, you know, when you're not there with them, you don't get a chance to really um, understand their growth and things. But you can you can see or hear what people say about them. And and everyone that, you know, that I talked to um, and for whatever reason, they wanted to tell me about Ryan because they they knew our relationship, you know, just uh, having known him so long. uh, They just always wanted to talk about how good he was and, and how he, you know, paid attention and, and how he was detailed and, and, um, and how he always had a good demeanor about him and, um, you know, had a good relationship with players. And, and that's what I got from all of the people in Washington, um, you know, whenever we would play them. And then obviously I started working there. So I got to talking to more people and, and again, they, they just wanted to tell me about how great, how great Ryan was, and so you know, I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest thing is when you can get other people to to talk about you and your your work ethic and your your knowledge and willingness to learn and and um, and that's what they talked about him. And then, obviously, working with him in in Minnesota, then I got to see it firsthand. Uh, you know, I just I, I like the way uh, he carried himself. Um, I like the way he. He always understood, I think, his, his position, his situation. You know, he didn't, um, he didn't, um, as they would say, get out of his lane. 
you know, he stayed in his lane and he knew, kind of knew when to talk, when not to talk, you know, with his dad being around and teaching him all that stuff. And, um, but when you listen to him give his ideas and his thoughts, you knew that, that, you know, he, he had learned, he was a student of, of, of coaching and, and he learned a lot from his dad. And, um, you know, and I, I, I think he's going to be a great coach. I just think he's got uh, so much to offer to, to teams and uh, to players. Uh, again, his, his knowledge, his demeanor, his approach, I think is perfect for, for today's players. And so, Sydney, because of all that, I mean, everything you just laid out, even though he's only 33 years old, he's now the youngest head coach in the NBA, because of all those traits that he possesses, I mean, he's wise beyond his years. In many ways, being 33 should not be looked at as any sort of negative. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's unfair sometimes, um, but but understandable um, for most people to say, you know, young young coach. Um, but like you said, he's he's been around this game so long, and and he's you know he's learned from a pretty good pretty good coach and and he's been around some other coaches as well so so he's learned the game and and again you know the the, the big thing to in our game today it's it's about relationships it's about getting your players to want to play you know it's not you getting to force them to play it's getting your players to want to play for you to want to do good and i think i think he's going to be good at that i think he's already good at that uh, again because of his his relationship with with players, and you know he's you know you you know you, you can get a guy that's been coaching for for twenty years in this league, uh, head coach in, in this league, and you know and they they can not have a great year, they can stumble. So I don't think it has anything to do with his age. I think right now I don't think his age is going to be a detriment to his ability to to do well in this league as a coach. I think he's gonna. He's going to do well. I think he's going to continue to grow, as we all do. Um, but I, I, I think, I think his uh, again, his his knowledge and and his demeanor, his approach, is is going to be uh, very good for that ball club. We're talking with Sidney Lowe, current Pistons assistant, longtime history with the Wolves, including at one point, Sidney, you were the head coach of the Wolves. You've coached in the NBA. You've been a head coach in the NBA. So when talking about Ryan's ability to connect to the players, I mean, even if we circle back, you know, you were the head coach of the Wolves, what, mid-90s. So if we circle back even, what, 25 years ago, how much has being a head coach changed when it comes to, you know, massaging these enormous egos, you know, managing all these guys? (laughs) How much has the job of head coach changed when talking about Ryan's ability to relate to the players, to connect with his players, it's it's changed a great deal. It's changed a great deal um, because it's you know it's several years ago, and it's it's not a negative or a knock on any player or anything like that. It's just it's just it's changed. Um, you know, before coaches were coaches, and they said whatever they wanted to say to us, and we just took it. It was the way it is, um, and we understood that. Um, but. You know, it's, it's things have changed, and 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 relationships, and and one one thing is that players are coming into this league uh, much younger than they did. Um, you know, when I when I uh, was coaching, you know, guys were staying for three four years, and then they were coming in, so a little more mature. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way to the young guys, uh, but I think they 
they had an opportunity to have you know some coaches yell at them and say some things to them. Um, and and I think that, but I think all coaches today, I don't care. I mean, even myself, I understand that 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 you know players are are, are different, and and again, not in a bad way, just in a different way. And and it's all about relationships, you know. And that's that's one thing that I do as an assistant coach. I, I try to I try to understand them as much as I try to get them to understand me. You know, it's got to be a two way street and. And you get that respect for one another, and you learn how to communicate with each other. I don't say, I don't say how to deal with players or how to talk to players. It's just how to communicate. It's how to understand them, and I think that's so important. You guys played the Wolves in March when Ryan was the Wolves interim head coach. You guys actually won that game rather easily. I mean, that might have been your guys' as Detroit's. Heck, who knows? I don't know. You would know this better than me, but maybe one of your best games of the season, if not your best. You guys ended up scoring 131 points, won the game very easily. I think you guys ended up winning by close to 20 points. But what what stood out? Do you remember that game from mid-March when you guys in Detroit beat the Wolves? What stood out about the way the guys played for Ryan, how Ryan handled that game? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we played well. I mean, we just played well that game. Um but I, I thought that, you know, when I when I watch teams and I watch coaches or whatever and I watch their teams play, I'm just I'm trying to look at a couple of things. One, I'm trying to see, you know, do they play hard? Um, I'm trying to see do they try to execute the stuff, their game plan and what they're doing and and uh, do they play together, you know? And I thought that those guys when I watch his team uh, when he took over, I thought they tried to play hard for him. Um I I knew a lot of his sets. I knew things he was calling, so I could watch and see if they were uh, trying to execute it properly, um, and they did. Um, you know, I, I thought I you you couldn't have I couldn't have tell, told you anything different. Uh, I couldn't have said to you. I could tell that team is coached by a young player. I couldn't tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was coached by a good player, by by a good coach. Um, and age had nothing to do with it. You know, we just played well that game. But um, you know, I've I watched all, I watched just about all of his games when we weren't playing. And sometimes I'll I'll, I'll catch um, on the replay, and and I'll call him and I'll I'll text him and I'll tell him, you know, hey, great job and great job down the stretch. And so I'm calling his timeouts and plays that he called for for guys for Carl or for Wig down the stretch. Um, you know, he handled his timeouts well. Um, you know, I, I always would try to try to reach out to him and encourage him. You know, he's, he's like my brother, so uh, <laughs> and I want him to do well. <laughs> he could easily be your son. You realize that, right? Yeah, I know, but I was going to go brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney, when, when talking about knowing all of Ryan's plays, the sets that he wants to run, what does an ideal Ryan Saunders offense look like? Well, you know, I, I think obviously he's he's taken a lot from from his from his from his dad, but I think too he's understanding the difference in the game today. You know, the game today is is more ball movement, body movement, you know, dribble handoffs, um, and things of that nature. And 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 I think he's 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 putting he's going to put his own spin on his offense. And and when you see it, but he also understands of taking advantage of, of matchup situations, um, which, which, which his dad did as well. Um, I think he's got a good feel for that. I think he's got a good feel of, 
you know, when to get away from a player and get somebody else involved or looking at matchup situations. But I think you're going to see him with, with ball movement, spacing, um, especially obviously having a guy like Cat at, the, at that position who can stretch you out and, and shoot the three ball, which, you know, is so important in today's game. And I, I see them I see them evolving a little more and, and, and shooting more threes. I see them getting it open floor and, and creating opportunities for threes. And then what about defensively? How important will it be that Ryan surrounds himself with, heck, even just the right defensive coordinator, right? I mean, sort of the football model, getting somebody in here that can really coach defense, help Ryan communicate defense to these guys. Yeah, um, that's, you know, that's funny. That's one of the things that um, that, that I've been talking to him about is, is definitely, you know, having someone that, that can do that, having someone to anchor his defense and, and really teach. You know, the, the, the main thing that I stressed to him was it was to have someone that's going to teach and and I don't mean like just just teach you know this is what you do this is no really teach um, really um, make sure that the guys are, are, are disciplined in, in in their rules and what they're supposed to do you know um, if there's a mistake made while you're running it run it again let them do it again do it again and do it again you know and that's that's I think that's that's how you become good at it is is when you when you correct those things right away and not let them go up and down and up and down. Um, but someone that understands the game today and what teams are trying to do, and 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 try to and try to be good at at, at one of those things. Whether you take away threes, whether you take away the paint, um, but but really try to focus on those things. But it certainly has to be someone that's going to hold players accountable. Um, which, you know, you have to have that. And that's what the good teams do. The players are held accountable. You know, they hold each other accountable, too, which, mm-hmm. is, which is what the really good teams do. <laughs> the players hold, hold themselves accountable. So if you can get some leadership that way, um, then that would really, really help them. Sidney Lowe, while I have you, I mean, how much do you reflect upon your time? I mean, heck, I mean, it's plural. Your time's here in Minnesota. I mean, I said it in the intro. I mean, player. Assistant coach, what, four different stints and head coach. I mean, really, when talking about Timberwolves history, 30 years plus of, of Timberwolves history, I mean, you're as much a part of it as anybody. Yeah, you know what? It, it's funny. It's, um, I, you know, it, I, I love it. I love it there. Um, every time, I mean, when I come back to play there or coach there, I feel at home and, um, you know, and a lot of people, people ask, you know, what's your favorite place? you've ever worked what's your favorite place to play and i'll say minnesota it's like minnesota <laughs> and and i'll just have to tell them you guys just don't understand you know you don't understand i love it there um you know and and you know who knows when i'm done i mean it's it, you know it could be home for me when i retire i don't know i just i love i love the people there um i love the organization i always have and uh and so you know i did i i i've been fortunate to have come back there several times to work there and uh and, and every time I was I mean I was excited every single time coming back and then I'll leave you with this I mean how much do you love the Pistons organization and really there's a slice of Minnesota there I mean when thinking about Dwayne Casey right head coach 
Sean Sweeney, yeah. <laughs> assistant with you. He's a St. Paul guy. Creighton Durham Hall, University of St. Yes, Thomas. John Lohr is from Orono High School. Your connection. Heck, Ed Stefanski running your front office. His son Kevin is the Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. There's a lot of Minnesota there with, with you guys with the Pistons. Yeah, it is. And every now and then, you know, Sean and I will we'll 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 talk we'll talk some Minnesota. We'll talk Minnesota talk and you know, the guys will look at us like uh, you guys love Minnesota, you know. So, but yeah, we've got we've got ties here, like you said, with Coach Casey, who is who is great and uh, great to work with, and Ed is great to work with, and we've got a really good staff here and a lot of fun. We work together. We, you know, we we challenge each other, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, we're we're re- Minnesota is represented here in Detroit pretty pretty well. <laughs> How closely did you work with? Is it? The pronunciation on his last name, Gupta, who just joined the Wolves. He'll be number two in the Wolves front office, right below Gerson Rosas. But I know he was he was assistant general manager there in Detroit with you last year. Yes, yes. He he's very good. They're gonna love him. They're gonna absolutely love him. Yeah. He's very much involved here, obviously. And uh, you know, we just had a few meetings here and he was here with a couple of meetings and going over stuff and salary cap and doing everything and yeah, he's a great guy. They're going to love him. That's fantastic. Sidney Lowe, thank you so much for your time. Okay, no problem, no problem. We appreciate Sidney Lowe's time. As he mentioned, he remains in constant contact with Ryan Saunders. He still is under contract in Detroit, so Sidney Lowe won't be coming back to Minnesota for a fifth assistant coach's stint, but he certainly is a good resource for Ryan. On Gupta, I was looking for proper pronunciation on the first name, S-A-C-H-I-N. I failed to find proper pronunciation, so that's his first name. Last name is Gupta. He will be number two in the Wolves front office. Not only Sidney Lowe, but a couple other people that have worked with Gupta. He worked with Rosas and Hugh. Houston. He worked under Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia, then spent the last year with the Pistons as the assistant general manager. Hearing from a few people that have worked with Gupta, the word is all positive. That sounds like a home run hire by Gerson Rosas. Rosas in Los Angeles earlier this week for pro day workouts. He saw DeAndre Hunter. He saw Rui Hachimura. He saw Alexander Walker, the kid from Virginia Tech. I'm told he actually shot the ball really well at his pro day, but those pro days are so scripted. The Wolves in June will have Tyler Hero of Kentucky in for a private workout, Brandon Clark of Gonzaga, and others. No draft promise. At least all signs point to no draft promise to Rui Hachimura has been made. Is Hachimura very much on the Wolves' radar? Yes. Did the Wolves make him any sort of draft promise at the Combine in Chicago a couple weeks ago? My sense is no. Amir Coffey staying in the draft. We found that out last night. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you should not be surprised by Amir Coffey not returning to the Gophers for his senior year. He's got a number of team workouts coming up, and he's already worked out for a number of teams, including the Sacramento Kings, earlier this week. The Wolves start a free agent camp on Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Briante Weber. There's a bunch of different guys that will be in. Matt Costello, the former Michigan State Spartan. Briante Rice, former Fighting Illini guard. There's a number of G League type all-stars that will be in town, other free agents that will be in town for a three-day Wolves minicamp starting on Sunday. When we come back, we'll continue the NBA talk. We'll talk NBA draft with Cole Zwicker from the Stepien. He has consulted for an NBA team before. He's one of the foremost experts on the NBA draft in this country. We'll talk NBA draft. We'll focus mostly on the Wolves with pick 11 when we come back here on the Scoop Podcast. We return. It is the Scoop Podcast here on Score North. 
Dallas Keuchel remains on the Twins' radar, I am told. The Twins are among teams to have had a scout watch him throw a simulated game in Newport Beach, California, going back over the last couple weeks. The Twins, along with everybody else in Major League Baseball, would not have to sacrifice a draft pick to sign Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell as of Monday morning. Monday is the start of the Major League Baseball draft. Once the draft starts, teams would not have to give up a draft pick to sign one of those guys. Yes, the Twins are still interested in Craig Kimbrell as well. It comes down to term and money. One Twins official told me, hey, any player that can help us win, win at a high level, we're off to a phenomenal start, we are interested in. So yes, the Twins remain interested in Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. I'll get to a Phil Kessel note. Talks are not dead when it comes to the Wild trying to acquire Phil Kessel. I'll get to that note next segment. But as I mentioned, going into the break from the last segment, we'll talk NBA draft this segment with Cole Zwicker. He has consulted for an NBA team before. He helped create the website The Stepian. He is one of the foremost draft experts in this country. Let's pick his brain when it comes to the Wolves and pick 11. We catch up now with Cole Zwicker. By the way, Brandon Clark of Gonzaga due in for a workout with the Wolves on June 12th. And Tyler Hero of Kentucky is in, I left my notes on my desk, it's either June 14th or June 15th, Inside Carolina, a recruiting website that covers North Carolina athletics, specifically North Carolina basketball, reports that Nasir Little will also come to town for a Wolves workout. Nasir Little, the former North Carolina Tar Heel, I have yet to hear what specific date, though, that he'll be in. All right, let's catch up now with Cole Zwicker. Cole, leading into our conversation, I mentioned that Brandon Clark of Gonzaga is due in for a workout with the Wolves. On June 12th, the Wolves, including GM Scott Layden, Director of Personnel Brian Pauga, were in Chicago for the Priority Sports Pro Day last Friday. So those two saw Clark in person, but Gerson Rosas, others with the Wolves, will have a chance to watch him up close on June 12th. The main reason I wanted you on the podcast was I saw you tweet a couple days ago that one of your favorite, if not your favorite draft fit this year, is Brandon Clark at pick 11 to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Why do you like that fit so much? I really think it optimizes his game. What you really have to do with him is put him in a position to succeed offensively. He's not someone that's going to be able to stretch the floor right away. And I'm a little worried about a team not playing him in the right position. So he might have to play in the dunker spot initially. And I think playing him next to a Carl Anthony Towns, any kind of stretch big who can draw two and really make Clark the play finisher and get him on the floor that way, I think it's going to be integral for him because he really is, I think, an impact defensive player potentially. Of course, you see the measurables. He... Measured in, basically, it's Jimmy Butler as far as um, height, length, reach, all of that. So he's not a power forward traditionally, but he's an elite athlete. We're talking about like a 95th percentile athlete historically. How he tested at the combine, you see all that on defense with anticipation. His ability to protect the rim from the weak side, he can switch you know, one through four. And I think he really covers up for Towns defensively as well. So I just love that fit. What about, speaking of measurables, he only weighed in at, like, what, 208 pounds? Him being only 208, 209, 210, how much of that is a concern for you? Yeah, that was the biggest shock for me. We knew the wingspan wasn't going to be enormous. I thought more 6'10", not 6'8 and a half. So definitely leaves a lot wanting as far as his physical tools. But I think the weight, he can get up to 225. A lot of us thought he was more in the 220 range playing the season. So that 209 number of the combine was definitely... A little eye-opening, but I think he can add 15 pounds of core strength, and he plays bigger than his size. He's very physical, and I think he's stronger than he gets credit for. On his defense, I mean, so many of us focus on offense, but when it comes to his defense, I mean, I think so many draft prospects just aren't anywhere near ready to play NBA-level defense, but I think in Clark's case, I think you're right. He probably is. How much should we focus on how good he can be and how good he already is defensively? 
yeah, I think you really have to. You have to focus on the fact that he already has elite reaction time. He knows how to communicate on defense. He rotates. He's a great team defender. And I think there's some technical work to do, and I think that's what the NBA is best at, is getting guys to refine their technique, guarding on the ball. Sometimes he'll, he'll close out in a high stance, or he'll you know, he'll be in a high stance one pass away, and he won't be sitting down, and he might get blown by. But he'll recover, and he'll, it'll challenge the shot because he's that good of an athlete. So I really do think you have to put a lot of stock in the fact that he already has these things you can't teach, this reaction time especially, and just the the work ethic and how he plays. I think he's going to really exert himself on defense. He wants to, to play defense, and I think that's the biggest thing for NBA guys is you really have to want it if you're going to play that side of the ball. You're absolutely right. Now, not just Minnesota, but just overall, do you like Clark better than his teammate Rui Hachimura? I do. I think that Clark's defense projects to be more impactful. I think that Rui will go higher in the draft in all likelihood just because of the scoring upside and how he can score in face-up situations. But I do like Clark. I think his impact defense is kind of trumps everything that we see with Rui. I think that the NBA tends to overvalue scoring a little bit, especially when guys aren't that efficient at doing it. We don't know if Rui can shoot threes, for example. So I, I think that Clark's defensive side of the ball projects better than anything that Rui does. When you say Cole, and we're talking with Cole's Wicker talking NBA draft, when you say Cole that, that you think Hachimura will go higher than Clark, I mean, you like Clark here as a fit with Minnesota pick 11, but are you anticipating that Minnesota probably doesn't pick Clark at 11, that maybe Hachimura, whether he goes 11 or maybe he goes 12 or 13, and maybe Clark is more in that, what, like 17 to 23 range? Yeah, I think that Clark, it starts with 11 for the Timberwolves. I think that's the high end of his projected outcomes as far as where he goes. I could see him falling even into like the, the lower part of the 20s. I don't really know. It's a very hard area to project that area of the draft. There's a lot of wings. We don't know how they're going to be viewed. And I think Clark could fall a little bit due to his age. He's not going to really hit in a lot of the draft models because of his age as well. So, Rui, we, we, scoring tends to get emphasized in the draft. And I do think that Rui is likelier to go higher, even though I, I think that Clark could, but I would still bet on Rui in that. I would be really shocked if Rui fell out of the top you know, 16, 17 picks, for example. So I think Clark's range is a little bit more vast. Overall, comparatively speaking, is this one of the tougher drafts to pinpoint? I mean, is this tougher than other years in terms of, I mean, right after, I mean, I think the first six picks are relatively easy to project, but maybe thereafter, maybe the first seven picks, but maybe thereafter. I mean, you can make a case for a guy going somewhere as high as 8, 9, 10, or 11, or he could go as low as, like I think of Grant Williams of Tennessee. I know he didn't blow anybody away at the combine, but I thought he was phenomenal at Tennessee. I mean, you could make a case that maybe he goes in the teens, but then again, maybe he ends up going like 38. Is this is this one of the tougher drafts to project? It really is. I mean, I think the NBA does a pretty good job of narrowing ranges, so we get outcome ranges. Like Kobe White, for example, has been told he's going to go somewhere between five and nine. So the NBA usually assigns general ranges, like DeAndre Hunter will be a top ten pick. But you work your way down, and we get to like eleven, twelve, and then you could make a case for a lot of these guys with like a sixteen, seventeen spot variance. So very hard to project. It's going to come down to what teams covet what attributes in a player. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of disagreement this year. There's not clear standouts in that capacity. So maybe a lot of it's team fit. There's a lot of dependent players that have to be put in specific positions to succeed. You also have some teams in that range, like the Pistons and the Magic. They need specific positions. They need shooting guard, small forward. While I'm never a fan of drafting just to fill a position, I want to draft, I guess, in theory, best player available that also fills a need, but not necessarily a specific position. You're going to get teams that do that because that's the wing range. You get Kelvin Johnson, you get Romeo Langford. Nobody really knows what the order is going to be. 
Yeah, I mean, you bring up Kelton Johnson. I mean, I think about him at Kentucky. I mean, there's a few Kentucky guys that fit in that sort of 11, 10, 11, 12, 13 to like 33-ish range. I mean, I guess of of the three Kentucky guys I'm thinking of, Tyler Hero, Kelton Johnson, P.J. Washington, of those three, who do you like the best? I like P.J. Washington the best. I, I think his game's kind of underrated. He fills a role as far as at the four spot, can space the floor, and he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, and I love his passing. I think that's what really improved the most from year one to two. He's got the best feel of that group of players, and I tend to bet on instincts. I think P.J.'s defense, as far as versatility, is a little bit overrated. As far as in a stance, he's not the best at containing the ball, but he does try. Um, inconsistent motor, but he's gotten better at that, and I think he has the length with a 7'3 wingspan. He's got the strength. And a lot of teams in that range, like the Heat, for example, they really covet that strength in that build. So I, I think I like him the most, and I think he probably goes the highest. What about Hero? I know he's coming to town for a Minnesota workout in mid-June. Do you like Tyler Hero? Not typically an archetype I like to bet on. I think he's a great shooter. He's got great touch. He shoot over 90% from the line, and he demonstrated a lot of floater touch. When you chase him off the three-point line, he's got one of the best one-two dribble pull-ups in the class, in my opinion. That's how he kind of makes you pay for that. But, of course, 6'6 with a negative three wingspan, that's going to turn some teams off with a 6'3 wingspan at that size. He's already fighting a battle defensively because he's not the most athletic. He's not the strongest. So he doesn't have great tools on that end. You really have to believe in the shot. He's not some dynamic off-movement shooter. He's not Cam Johnson at a UNC who can come off a floppy set in an NBA three-off movement. He's more of a catch-and-shoot guy. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He feels underrated. He can make some plays. You brought up Cam Johnson. Do you like him maybe more than Nasir Little? Or of the North Carolina guys, do you prefer Little? I think I would go Cam Johnson, honestly, just because I know what he does. I know he's the best shooter in the draft. If you can plug and play him into a rotation. Nasir, I think, has more, in theory, upside. Nasir's going to go higher. He's a great kid. Incredible intangibles. Um, he, he's going to interview really well in the process. But just not someone who has a lot of basketball feel. And that's something that really resonated with North Carolina I think he's going to shoot better in the NBA than he showed in North Carolina. He kind of tinkered with his mechanics a little bit at the side of his head. But uh, he's just not someone who I think is going to be a high-level contributor just because he, he's been behind in the mental game as far as basketball for a little bit. We, we saw it catch up to him a little bit this year. So he's not the same prospect that a lot of people – like he came in to the season as a top-four guy for ESPN. Mm-hmm. And everybody really liked him because he killed the all-star circuit. I'm not sure how well he fits in a five-on-five construct. I think the game in the NBA might be a little bit too fast. You a fan of Duke's Cam Reddish? He's really difficult. I mean, you can see the intrigue with the skill, the fluidity, the off-the-dribble shot-making a little bit, but he really has gotten a lot of excuses made for him this year, and he had a really good situation at Duke, where really he just had to take volume threes off the dribble. I think his athleticism is overrated. He's not an explosive finisher. He's actually one of the worst two-point shooters that we've seen for a major prospect. He was not efficient in his role. I think his defense is underrated. He's pretty good off the ball as far as instincts with his length. He can guard on the ball a little bit, switch a little bit. But I think his offense, his decision-making is poor. If he's not an elite shooter, I have some reservations about him. But I do like his fit on teams like the Atlanta Hawks. I think that if you put him in a position where he's more of a tertiary ball handler, he just takes a lot of threes to attack closeouts, plays off a guy like Trey Young, that's an optimal situation for him. How much work have you been able to do on, on the kid that plays in the French League, Dumbuya? Done a fair amount. Uh, he just came back from injury about a month ago, so I've watched a, a considerable amount of his tape. He just had one of his best games of the season. I think he had 35 points. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, his, shot, his shot has come around, so I think he's a better shooter, like kind of like Mr. Little. They're both better shooters than they get credit for, and I think that might honestly end up being their best skill. Dumbuya, I'm not sure if he's the kind of elite-level athlete that you look for. 
he is fluid. He has some ability, has some agility in transition, but not a guy who makes good decisions with the ball. He turnover prone. He doesn't make good reads. And I don't think he's a dynamic switch defender, but he, he has physical tools. I think the NBA is going to value him higher than me. I would be shocked if he fell out of the lottery. Do you see a little Pascal Siakam in his game? And the reason I bring that up is Jordan Taylor, who's a Minneapolis kid, used to play for the Wisconsin Badgers, his teammates with Dumbuya in that France league. He sent me a note via Twitter, a direct message saying, hey, I see a little Siakam in Dumbuya's game. Do you see that comp at all? I can see why that would be made, just because of the fluidity, the length extension finishes. He's got some touch. So I can see it from that aspect. Siakam just had a crazy motor. And Dumbuya does play hard, but I don't see that excessive. Like, he's going 120% all of the time. That's kind of what makes Siakam special. And he's really developed. I think projecting anyone to develop on that kind of curve that Siakam did is, I'm not sure if that's realistic, just because he really did exceed a lot of odds there. Another guy, yet another guy in that 10 to 35-ish range is Kevin Porter Jr. of USC. Do you like him? He's an ultimate wild card because USC was not a very projectable situation this year. It was not a good situation for him. He was mostly off the ball. We didn't get to see him create a lot of high-leverage situations, but you watch his tape. He's the highlight guy of his class. You watch his best plays, and he has a ton of shake with the ball. He's the best individual one-on-one creator. But all he did this year was take step-back jumpers. He didn't even take open driving lanes. This is a Hmm. plus athlete. He could have used his athleticism a lot more functionally. It's it's tough. I mean, he's going to have to kill workouts, kill interviews. There's been some question marks about that side. He's a good kid. I just don't know if his intangibles are good enough for a team to bet on. I think his handle's a little bit overrated as far as control, but he's got the best dribble moves in the class. Two more I'll run by and then I'll let you go. Bowl, bowl. I mean, heck, I mean, a 7-2 guy that can make NBA threes is, is certainly appealing, but then again, a big guy that's had any history of, of a foot injury, I mean, that offers a little bit of pause. What about what about bowl, bowl? I guess specifically when looking at the Wolves at pick 11. Yeah, that's probably too rich for my blood as far as that goes i mean the the injury like you said for his build i mean he's 209 pounds so how is he really going to hold up at the nba center position he's got elite level touch though we're talking about one of the best shooting big man prospects coming in the draft in a long time he can shoot nba threes he can put the ball on the floor a little bit he's got really natural fluidity of course he has the huge reach to defend but he he takes so many plays off defensively like I, I've seen plays against Iowa, for example, where he offered like literally no resistance in the post, let somebody duck in on him. Mm. He didn't even contest the shot. Like I've never seen that from a big man prospect that really has to win some on motors. So is he going to guard a guy like Steven Adams? I think he's going to get killed. It's really tough for him. I don't know how much strength he can add. You really have to really trust your your doctors and your strike development guys to really give you a good projection about if he can hold up physically, because I don't think he can. I mean, that would worry me. I mean, if a guy doesn't have a motor when he knows that all these NBA scouts are watching him, he's on national television playing at the collegiate level. I mean, if he doesn't have the motor there, I'm not quite sure that's something that can be coached. What do you think? Yeah, that's how I tend to lean, too, especially with bigs. I mean, I think a lot of GMs and a lot of executives, they love bigs who go hard all the time. That's a huge part of this, just playing hard. And if you if you don't show that, you don't show that desire. And, and Bolt made comments like he went to Oregon basically for – you know, the shoes and whatnot. He hasn't really done this that well as far as portraying himself. Like Mo Bamba, for example, was really good in the pre-draft process, even though he had some motor issues too. But I tend to agree. I don't think that kind of stuff, that intangible factor, is really wanting to win that competitive fire. 
you can't really instill that in someone. And then I'll leave you with this. The Wolves have pick 43 in the second round. I mean, who are some guys that you like maybe as a fit in the second round for the Wolves, guys that project to go in that 35 to 45 to 50 range? There's a lot of guys this year. Matisse Thibel, for example, could be there. Uh, a wing out of Washington had the most absurd block and steal numbers this year. He played in the zone, of course, but high-level anticipation. He's an excellent kid. Really, what you're hoping for is just him making catch-and-shoot jump shots, and it's not broken as far as his form goes. I, I think he might be able to hit catch-and-shoot three. He's not a lot off movement, but I really do love his defense, and I think his length with a seven-foot wingspan just can really fill a role. Daquan Jeffries is kind of a late riser out of Tulsa. Really, really good build. He plays basketball like he's a football player. I love his physicality, and he can make catch-and-shoot threes as well. He's someone who has like decent shooting projections. So you invest in someone like that, maybe not the high-level switch defender that you look for, but he can play down positions. Like he can swing down to the four at times. He has that long reach. I, I really like him. I think he's really helped himself in the combine, and I can see him going, you know, top fifty now, which is a huge, huge elevation for him. I think ESPN probably has him top fifty now as well. So I think that's firmly in his range. Cole, thank you so much. People can check you out on Twitter at Cole Zwicker. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was NBA draft expert Cole Zwicker. He helped create the website, The Step In. He has consulted for an NBA team before. He knows his stuff when it comes to the NBA draft, which is coming up in just a few weeks. The Wolves have picks 11 and 43. When we come back, we'll shift our attention to the NHL draft. We'll catch up with the top local prospect for this year's NHL draft, Bobby Brink, the former Minnetonka High School star. Stay with us. It's final segment time here on the Scoop Podcast. One leftover Wolves note, actually two leftover, well, related to the Wolves notes. Then I'll get to a Phil Kessel note. Then I'll get to my conversation with NHL draft prospect, former Minnetonka High School star, Bobby Brink. On Sam Mitchell, I've been asked a bunch about former Wolves interim coach Sam Mitchell, who resigned recently from his post underneath Penny Hardaway as a University of Memphis assistant. Anyway, I've been asked, hey, what about Sam joining Ryan Saunders' staff? I'm told there's been zero contact in that regard. When it comes to Ryan Saunders' staff, two names, two guys to know that will interview for jobs to join Ryan on his Wolf staff. You've got Chad Forcier, former Grizzlies assistant, worked in San Antonio, helped, among many, develop Kawhi Leonard. He's also worked in Orlando, so get to know the name Chad Forcier. And David Vanterpool, who interviewed for the Wolves head coaching job, actually via the phone because he's a current Blazers assistant when the Wolves were conducting interviews in Chicago at the Combine. The Blazers were still alive playing in the Western Conference Finals. So Vanterpool interviewed with Gerson Rosas over the phone. He is now in the mix to join Ryan Saunders' staff. On Phil Kessel, I hear the reluctance on him accepting a trade to join the Wild while Jason Zucker would head to Pittsburgh. There may be some other moving parts in that transaction if it eventually happens, but the two big pieces would be Zucker to Pittsburgh, Kessel to Minnesota. Isn't necessarily that he doesn't like the long-term future of the Wild? Yes, there are many questions about the long-term viability of the Wild over the next handful of years. Can they compete in the Western Conference? But I hear that it's more he actually wants to play somewhere warm, that he has gotten to the point where he knows the Penguins want to trade him. He's open to being traded, but prefers to be somewhere warm. Would that mean that Arizona, a team that is pursuing Kessel, makes a ton of sense? Maybe. Would he accept a trade to Arizona? He probably would. Now, are talks dead when it comes to the Wild? Absolutely not. Now, it's been reported by The Athletic that Kessel did have a conversation with Wild General Manager Paul Fenton. That is accurate. Kessel has also talked to other people with the Wild. So there's still some persuading behind the scenes going on. Yes, right this second, Phil Kessel would say no to a trade to the Wild. He has that right. He has that power. He would say no to coming to Minnesota. 
Does that mean that talks are completely dead? It does not. So it's a story worth still keeping an eye on, even though Kessel initially did say, no, I'm not accepting a trade to Minnesota. Just keep an eye on that situation. All right, continuing the hockey theme, Bobby Brink, former Minnetonka High School star. He is right now in Buffalo at the NHL Draft Combine. Before he left for Buffalo, I caught up with him. He's expected to go probably somewhere in the mid to late first round of the June draft, maybe into the second round, but he definitely is the best local draft prospect. Here's my conversation with Bobby Brink. I mean, it's now at the point of we're pretty much days until the draft. I mean, what are your emotions right now? Yeah, it's exciting uh, knowing that the draft's coming up soon and uh, uh, just like your dream of playing in the NHL is uh, hopefully going to come true where you get one step closer where you're getting drafted and uh, just like a lot of work and uh, WB coming up close on the draft is exciting. And how much more work is there? I mean, you have, don't you have some workouts coming up and is it Buffalo? I mean, you still have some work to do before the draft. Yeah, we got the combine and some interviews coming up. Uh, so there's a little one more step left and then uh, it's the draft time. Is it though? I mean, is it that much closer to your dream of playing in the NHL becoming a reality, even though it still might be a couple years, but once you know of a team having your draft rights, that's when it becomes really real? Yeah, like uh, obviously you drafted, you're not uh, in the NHL or anything. You just uh, you still have to prove yourself in college or in junior, and so. Uh, but it's just uh, it's exciting to know that you're on their radar and that you're you're part of their organization and they're investing in you. But uh, uh, you're not on the team yet, and you just kind of keep uh, getting better. As we talk here before the combine, I mean, have teams reached out to you? Have you had any conversations with teams? to this point? Uh, yeah, like most guys go through interviews with uh, like some of the scouts and we'll talk to the scouts and uh, those can be pretty basic in, uh, interviews and they'll get more in depth at the combine. What are those conversations like though with scouts? I mean, are they picking your brain? Are they asking you a lot of questions about your game? Uh, I mean, not in the uh, earlier stages as much. Like uh, they're just kind of getting to know you type of thing where uh, just try to get to know your game and you as a person. Then once you get to the combine, uh, they'll really get into depth about uh, who you are and uh, what strengths and weaknesses you have and uh, whether they want to draft you or not. When you say getting to know your game, describe to us what your game is like. Uh, I think I'm an offensive playmaker that uh, uh, likes to use high hockey IQ and vision uh, to make scoring chances for him and his teammates and uh, try to use my puck skills to my advantage. Do you have position flexibility too? Can you play center and wing? I always played center in high school. Last year down in Sioux City, I played uh, right wing. So, I mean, are teams looking at you more as a right wing or have teams talked to you about playing center? I mean, obviously they know that I was playing center at Tonka, but uh, I, I'm probably been drafted as a winger. Is that where you feel more comfortable or does it matter to you? Um, it doesn't matter to me, but uh, I enjoy playing wing. Uh, so uh, wherever they want me to play, I play. Take us through just how much better you've gotten since the last time a lot of us watched you up close. I mean, I think about, what was it, 14 months ago, you at Minnetonka, you scoring a goal in the state championship game, you guys beating Duluth East. How has your game grown playing in Sioux City, playing USA under 18? Just take us through how much your game has grown since we last saw you at Minnetonka. Uh, yeah, I think uh, definitely just through natural development. Uh, I've gotten better, bigger, stronger. Um, uh, just playing against a harder competition, I think, has helped raise my game. Uh, practicing every day with uh, guys that are to move on to the Division One level has uh, helped elevate me and made me a better player. 
take us through that decision process where you decided, I mean, you could have gone back to Minnetonka for another season, but you made the decision to go to Sioux City to help with your development. Take us through that decision-making process. Yeah, it was a really tough decision. It took a long time to make it because a lot went into it. It was really tough uh, leaving all my friends and teammates back home, but I just felt like uh, it was best for my development and uh, for my future as a hockey player to leave home and go play in the USHL. Was the decision made any easier because you guys won a state championship? Like, hypothetically, if you guys had lost to Duluth East, would you have said, we got that close, I need to go back to Minnetonka? I'm not sure. Like, because uh, we won it, I mean, you'd achieved uh, the state tournament, but, I mean, you always want to win another. So, I mean, I wouldn't say just because we won it that I was ready to leave. I think it was more that just uh, I thought it was best for my development and uh, for me later as a player. How often do you think about scoring that goal in the state championship game? Yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. It's a surreal experience. It's kind of an out-of-body experience where you're scoring in front of that many people in, in the tournament that you grew up watching for 14 straight years. So, Do you take pride in being a 200-foot player that, that you also take pride in playing defense? Uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously you got to uh, play good defense and be a 200-foot player. Uh, you don't want to hurt your team in the D zone. and. I think uh, as a player, uh, it always makes you better and you'll win more if uh, you can contribute at both ends. Take us through your shot. I had a scout tell me, an NHL scout tell me, that, that you have a wicked wrist shot. Take uh, us through that. Um, I don't know. I just, I've been working hard on it lately, and uh, I just think that it's gotten better and I've gotten stronger where I'm able to release it quick and accurately. And then what about your passing game? I mean, I was told that you're a really good passer. Uh, yeah, I'm always trying to find guys uh, for scoring chances, and uh, I think that it's easier to pass the puck and get a scoring chance than it is to beat a guy. So uh, I don't. Know, I just always try to find the open guy and make the make the easy play. How much attention do you pay to the to the rankings? I guess the the Central Service ranking has you top 20, right? I can't remember if you're 19 or 20, but how much attention do you pay to maybe some of the mock drafts and, and some of the rankings? I mean, obviously you kind of hear about it just uh, from other guys and stuff, but I try not to pay too much attention to it. Uh, I was just more focused on our season and uh, down in Sioux City and trying to win a Clark Cup and uh, trying to win a gold medal over in uh, Sweden. So I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention. I don't want to be focused on that. You guys didn't win a gold, but you did medal, right? You won a bronze. I mean, take us through what that experience was like. Yeah, it was tough losing to Russia in the shootout there. Uh, obviously, you go over there, and your goal is to win the gold. And uh, when you don't, it's disappointing. But to be able to medal and to play in that tournament was pretty cool. Have you thought about what that moment will be like at the draft when you know, the announcement is made with the so-and-so pick? You know, It's normally, what, a team's general manager or you know, maybe an owner or somebody. Somebody steps up to the mic and makes the announcement, or maybe it's the scouting director. But whenever that person makes the announcement that we select Bobby Brink, have you thought about what that moment will be like? I mean, obviously you think about it and you've watched drafts previously and seen other players go through it. So, uh, I mean, I've thought about it, but I, I try not to think about it a lot. I mean, it obviously uh, one of the cooler moments that you'll experience being drafted. And uh, I think that uh, when it happens, it will be a surreal experience. Have you talked to your family yet? I mean, do you know? I mean, I know it's still a few weeks away, but do you know who will be with you at the draft? I think the plan right now is mom and dad will come with me. And how excited are they? Yeah, they're obviously excited, too. Uh, they've put a lot of work into my hockey career, too, uh, driving me everywhere around, uh, going 
going on six-hour drives to Chicago and ten hours up to Winnipeg every year. So obviously uh, they've been invested, and uh, it would be really cool to experience that with them. Do you play with a chip on your shoulder at all, Bobby? I mean, there are some people that say he's only what five foot eight, right? That people say, man, if he was only bigger. But is your comeback, hey, just watch me play? I, it doesn't matter what, what size I am, I'm going to produce. Yeah, obviously uh, you hear that sometimes. And uh, you know, I try not to let it bother me. I try not to think about it. Um, I think I know what I'm capable of, and I just try to uh, keep uh, all that out of my mind and focus on just being myself. What's the plan next season? Is it 100% you'll play for Denver University? I'm trying to graduate early, but uh, we'll see if see what the, what happens next year. So, I mean, that's up in the air. I mean, could you end up playing juniors? Could you play in, in one of those premier junior leagues? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. If I, if I don't uh, finish up my schooling in time, then probably back to USHL. But uh, if uh, I finish in time, I'll be at Denver. And what went through your process to, to decide in Denver? I mean, clearly you had just about every college in the country, every program wanted you. How did you decide on Denver? Um, I just thought that their culture and their atmosphere around the team was uh, one of the best in the, that I saw and that I thought that uh, their coaches develop players and move them on to the next level and their program is uh, invested in their players and uh, treat them very well. So I thought that that was the best place for me. Bobby will know in August whether he's completed all his high school work and can play for the University of Denver next year. As he said, if he doesn't get that work done, he absolutely could end up back in the United States Hockey League next year. Bobby Brink, former Minnetonka High School star, he bypassed his senior year at Minnetonka High School, won a state championship as a junior with the Skippers, bypassed his senior year to play in the USHL. It helped his draft stock. I mean, I don't think there's much debate on that. Now, going back to Minnetonka for a senior year, would that have hurt his draft stock? We don't know, but going to Sioux City certainly helped his draft stock. He has a chance to go as high as the middle of the first round. The NHL draft starts on Friday, June 21st. It comes our way from Vancouver, British Columbia. Bobby Brink, former Minnetonka High School star. We appreciate him joining the podcast. Next time I join you, we might have news of the twin signing Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel. Hey, that would be very, very interesting. Keep an eye on those names over the coming days. We are done here. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 233. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.